Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. everyone. Uh, Jeff, one of the pastors here at Soul Church. Great to be here with you, opening God's Word together. Uh, There's lots of questions in life, many, many questions. Some of them don't really matter. Do you hang the toilet paper over or under? Over, of course. It's the way to do it. Yeah, getting some nods. Uh, What Harry Potter house are you in? These are questions that don't really matter, although I told that to my 11-year-old daughter, and she said, what? What do you mean? Of course that matters. There are, of course, the questions that really do matter, like, what's the purpose of life? Is there a God? Did I leave the oven on when I drove here? These are questions that matter. And we've been working our way through the book of Matthew at Soul Church uh, over many years. We're in the last section of it now, Matthew 22 through to 28. And the section that we're in is full of questions that matter. The religious leaders have just asked Jesus three questions. Should we obey the government? What happens after you die? And what, what rules does God care about most? And these are important questions. But they're not asking these questions looking for answers. They're wanting to trap Jesus. And then Jesus flips the tables and he asks them a question. The most important question. Whatever questions we might have for God and for Jesus, the questions God asks us are more important. By definition, they're more important. And here's the question, the most important question. Have a look with me in Matthew 22, verse 41. Follow along, Matthew 22, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Who is the Messiah? Who is the Christ? Who's the one that God would send to lead and rescue his people? Or the way that we would ask that question, who is Jesus and why does it matter? And this is the question that matters most, more than any other question that you'll ever ask in life. Why? It matters because if you find an answer, it'll protect us. It'll protect us from three things that we're going to see tonight. It'll protect us from fake religion, from flawed promotion, and from foolish quests. It'll show us what's at the center of the universe So we don't miss the center of life and get the rest of life wrong along with it. So that's what we're going to discover. How about I pray and we'll dive in. Why don't you pray with me? Our great Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. We pray that you would teach us, change us, help us to see who you are and the goodness of your word and protect us from these dangers tonight, Lord. Amen. First thing, the Lord Jesus is at the center of the universe. Uh, Jesus asked the big question, and the religious leaders confidently come straight back with an answer. Look at verse 42. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And they're not wrong. Uh, The answer they give is what anybody would say at the time. Uh, Who is this this Christ, the, the, the one who would come to rule God's people, he's the son of David. Now, David was the greatest king ancient Israel ever had. He was this warrior who rescued them from their enemies by all these military victories, and he brought peace and prosperity to their nation. And God promised David that he would have more Christ, more kings that would come from his family tree. His grandson, his great, 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 great grandson, that they would also be kings like him uh, in his 
line, kind of David version 2.0, human warriors who would fight uh, their enemies. And so that's what the religious leaders are expecting. A son of David in David's line, version 2.0, to fight the Romans, their enemies, and to bring peace and prosperity to their nation, ancient Israel. And the religious leaders are kind of a little bit correct. The Christ is the son of David, but they're also mistaken because of this tendency, this, this bent that all people have, that all humans have, to shape Jesus to fit us. Uh, like Jesus is this beanbag that we just squash and adjust until we're comfortable with Jesus. As heaps of examples of this, um, one of the more extreme examples comes from the er- one of the early U.S. presidents, Thomas Jefferson. He made his own version of the Bible. He called it the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, extracted textually from the Gospels, in four languages. I can't speak one language very well. Uh, how did he do it, though? He got a razor... And he cut out of his Bible all the things he didn't agree with. And he got some glue and some parchment and he stuck it in and he made his own Bible. It's about 100 pages long rather than the 1,500 pages that most Bibles are. That's a pretty extreme way to shape the Jesus you want. Uh, More recently, in 2016, in the same-sex marriage plebiscite, I remember reading many social media posts saying that Jesus would have supported same-sex marriage because it was on about love without really noticing the things that Jesus himself says about love and about marriage. I think we're all in danger of doing this because almost anybody can find something that Jesus said or did that they can get behind. And then we squash and adjust Jesus until we find the Jesus that I'm comfortable with. I find myself doing this when I relax Jesus' teaching. Jesus says something that sounds a bit intense and I go, oh, what he really means is the soft lightweight version of that. That's what I'll live by. We can all make this mistake and the religious leaders make the mistake here. They're waiting for a son of David, version 2.0, a human warrior to fight against Rome and bring peace and prosperity. And they've decided Jesus is not that son of David. He's not a leader that they're comfortable with. The mistake, they make a double mistake. The mistake is that Jesus is that son of David But he's also more than a son of David. And they should have known that because David himself said so. Have a look in verse 43. Jesus said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply, and from that day on, no one did to ask him any more questions. Uh, verse 44, there is a song from Psalm 110 that Tom read for us earlier. It's a song from David about his son, and he calls him Lord. And did you get the logic of what's going on here? It's a little bit confusing. Uh, it might help if I paraphrase it. Uh, here's my paraphrase of it. Verse 44, God said to my Lord... Share my divine rule over the universe. So if David calls him my Lord, how can he be merely David's son? God said to my Lord, share my divine rule over the universe. So if David calls him my Lord, how can he be merely David's son? I think so. Hopefully that captures a bit more of the logic. David calls his son my Lord. Lord is an Old Testament name for God. 
And this son of David sits at God's right hand, which is a picture of sharing in God's rule over the universe. So how can he merely be David's son? That's not saying nearly enough about him. Jesus is infinitely bigger than that. The religious leaders want version 2.0, a human warrior. That's what they're waiting for. David is waiting for his Lord, the son of God, to rule not one nation, but the universe itself. The Lord Jesus is at the center of the universe. If you're a Christian, you know this. We know this. We love this fact. But isn't it really helpful to be reminded of it? Listen to how Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 puts it. Again, part of the Bible that I'm sure you're familiar with. But listen, see if you can capture it fresh. Therefore, God exalted him, exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The center of the universe, Jesus is there as the Lord. Um, Notice here as well the extremes. I'll, I'll put these in bold for you. How extreme this goes. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee, where in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue. This is in the words of the modern poet, Vanessa Amorossi. This is absolutely everybody, 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 absolutely everybody in the whole wide world. That's who we're talking about here. This is everybody caught up under Jesus as the Lord. Which means we need to do more than just respect Jesus or you know, even put Jesus on a pedestal, make statues of Jesus, name kids after Jesus. We need to do a lot more than that. We may need to make Jesus the Lord of our lives because he is. Jesus is your Lord if you want him or not, if you voted for him or not. He's the Lord of everybody in Australia, everybody in Wollongong, everybody in Mongolia, everybody across the planet. And everyone will bow before Jesus either gladly in celebration or grudgingly in despair when the real Jesus turns up and pushes aside our beanbag versions of him. The right reaction, the only possible correct reaction is David's one. To call Jesus my Lord. To gladly accept the Lord Jesus now before you're forced to accept it later. Because at the center of the universe is the Lord Jesus. And if this is who Jesus is, can you see that the most important question in life is what do you make of Jesus? There's no more important question that you will ever answer. And if you call Jesus your Lord already, we know this. But how good is it to be reminded of this? We know the future. Jesus wins. We are on the right side of history. It might not look like it. It might not feel like it at times. But we are living in step with where God is taking the entire universe. But if you miss this, you've missed the center of the universe. And if you get the center wrong, everything else will be wrong along with it. And you'll crash headlong into three dangers that Jesus protects us from. The danger of fake religion of flawed promotion and of foolish quests. I think one thing we can all agree on is that we hate fake religion. Uh, People who act all high and mighty, 
when in reality they're the same as us or even worse than us and they hide behind their kind of religiosity and their religious labels. Uh, Jesus at this point, he turns to the crowd and he sets the record straight on the religious leaders who are trying to trap him in his words. Have a look in Matthew 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Uh, They sit in Moses' seat, as in they read and explain the Old Testament law that God gave to Moses. And while they're doing that, while they're teaching Moses' words, Jesus says, listen to them, listen and obey what they say. Uh, Elsewhere, Jesus will say when they add to Moses' words, don't listen to that. Here, he's got a different issue in his sights. Listen to their teaching, but don't copy their lives because their religion is fake. It is empty preaching. They say, but they don't do, which is the definition of a hypocrite, isn't it? To say and not do, to say and do the opposite. And we hate this. We hate this when we see this around us. And this emptiness showed in how they treated other people. Look at verse 4. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Uh, They saddle people with these crushing rules and expectations, but they got a different standard for themselves. They demand a financial generosity that they don't match. They weigh other people down with the need to tirelessly serve in church while they just sit back and take it easy. This is, this is so familiar, isn't it? Leaders now who say, sacrificially give while I fly around in a jet. Leaders who say, be really scrupulous in your conduct while suddenly you discover they've got a, a different standard and the multiple sexual partners and scandals that all come out. This is alive and well today. It's like Jesus is saying this to our people, our time, not 2,000 years ago. They're also, the the problem with this fake religion, they're also obsessed with image. Look at verse 5. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. They want people to notice how godly they are. Uh, Their main concern is about how people will see them and and how what I'm doing, what was that going to look like on an Instagram post? That's what they're concerned about. Uh, And you see it in their phylacteries, of course. Um, I had to Google what phylacteries are. Phylacteries is this box on uh, the head here. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where God told ancient Israel, put a box on your head with Bible verses, a box on your arm, a box on your head, put Bible verses inside it. So that your idea being you're constantly aware of God's word. It's like you're imprinting it on your mind, living by God's word. Uh, So what do these people do? These fake religion people do. They make them as big as possible, which is kind of like bringing the biggest Bible to church. So when we get to the Bible reading, you're like, oh yeah, here we go. Or like having a, a cross necklace, but it's so big you can barely lift your head. Like surely you're really godly if you're doing this. Uh, Also, Numbers 15, God told ancient Israel, put tassels, you can see them there, put tassels on their garments 
to remind them to obey God's commands. Every time they look at the tassel, remind them to obey God's commands. So what these religious leaders do is they make them as long as possible because obviously the longer they are, the more godly you are, the more holy you are. It's all about appearances. They love the best seat at the banquets or the synagogues, which is like going to a wedding and expecting that you'll be invited to sit up on the bridal table. Being like, oh, you saved a seat for me? You shouldn't have. I mean, I guess I deserve some special treatment. They love to be called rabbi in the street, which is a title that means teacher or master or great one. Imagine that saying, oh, please just call me great one. I guess today it would be like asking, can you call me pastor? Can you call me reverend? Can you call me doctor? This is the poison formula for fake religion, and it is alive and well today. And can you see how easily fake religion could infect you? In empty preaching, in not doing what you say, in your life being so different to your words, in piling burdens on others but having a different standard for yourself, in being obsessed with image and how people around you see you, in each of those ways, watch out. Don't do what they do, for they say but don't do. And how different is the Lord Jesus who goes away into, in private to pray? who is tempted in every way as we were, but never sinned, who looks at the crowds with compassion, who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you heavier burdens? No, I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord Jesus protects us from fake religion. And he protects us from flawed promotion. Uh, Another danger here is promoting yourself, especially in the titles that you use for yourself and for other people. Look in verse 7 again. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. This is kind of promoting yourself based on what you know, kind of promoting yourself as a teacher. And it's not wrong to teach God's people. Otherwise, I'd be in a lot of trouble right now. It's not wrong to be thankful to God for your teachers. The problem is if you set yourself up as the teacher, if you set yourself up as a teacher, if you insist on your authority and you act as if you're the the sole repository of truth, you're the benchmark of Christian orthodoxy, It's deeply flawed to do that because all of us are deeply flawed. All of us have things to learn. All of us make mistakes. All of us misspeak and misbehave. And fundamentally, we have one teacher. And our job is to bring people to be taught by Jesus. And this is why at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, he sends his disciples out for the rest of time. He says, go and make disciples of all nations teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. His word is what counts, not mine. And so we all need to make a decision. We all need to make a decision right now. Are you going to point people to Jesus? Or are you going to point people to you? Because either you present Jesus as the teacher, or you as the expert, you can't do both. 
Second title, don't call anyone father. Look at verse 9. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Now again, there's nothing wrong with calling your dad father. Uh, There's nothing wrong from a kind of Christian sense. There's nothing wrong with having a, a fatherly or a motherly concern for younger Christians. The Apostle Paul has this. Uh, He has this with Timothy. He has this with the Corinthian and the Thessalonian churches that he planted. What's it talking about? It's about having an unhealthy dependence on someone. It's so easy to become dependent on a person rather than on God. And for a person that you respect to become for you the real reference point. To believe uncritically everything that comes out of their mouth. To do things the way he does it. The way that she does it. And a person often would encourage you to do that because it feeds their self-esteem. Until inevitably, they fail. I've sat by people whose hero has fallen and it has shattered them. It has crushed them. Because it's only in that moment that they saw how much they invested in a relationship with a human instead of their relationship with God. For you, Jesus says... You only have one father, your heavenly father. And the third title is about not promoting yourself as an instructor or a leader. Look at verse 10. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. If the first title is about promoting yourself or promoting someone based on what they know, the second is about unhealthy dependence, the third is about binding yourself to a human's wisdom. And again, there's nothing wrong with having wise people in your life. There's nothing wrong with wise leaders who direct the church and give advice for your life. The problem is when you put yourself or you put someone else in a position only Jesus belongs in. We have one instructor. We have one leader. It's Jesus who leads us to the Father God, who instructs us and directs us by his word and by his spirit. So we can't set up an alternative. Don't try and find a book or a friend or a life coach or a psychologist or a podcast series with a secret recipe to fix your life. Don't tell people that you can be that for them, ready with the right advice to lead them all the time. Only Jesus can be that. To promote yourself, to promote others in any of these ways is flawed. It's as destructive as fake religion. And to put it another way, our world already has a savior and it's not you and it's not me. So don't promote yourself. Don't promote anyone else as if they are the savior. That is a flawed promotion that the Lord Jesus protects us from. And how different is the Lord Jesus? The all-knowing teacher who never made a mistake, never misspeaks, never misbehaves, who carefully and surely leads us to depend on our safe and perfect Heavenly Father, Jesus, the flawless Lord. And fourth one, much quickly, third one, sorry, much more quicker. The Lord Jesus protects from foolish quests. Uh, I think there's few beliefs more common these days than that greatness is about being praised and served. That's what greatness is when you're praised, when you're celebrated, when people serve you. Uh, Let me put it this way. Would you rather be on stage getting an award at a ceremony held just for you or 
Would you rather be the person who stays behind to clean up all the mess when everybody else goes home? Which one would you pick? Obviously the ceremony. Because we think in our world, greatness is about being praised, being served. But Jesus says, if you want to be that person, that is a foolish quest. Look at verse 11. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Greatness is found in serving and humility. When you give your time, your energy, your money, when you pour out your lives to serve others, that's not a weak life. That's not a pathetic life or a trodden down life. That is greatness. Seeking your own glory, exalting yourself, that is a foolish quest that could not possibly end in success. And we know this because the Lord Jesus at the center of the universe is a servant. Let me read a little bit more of Philippians chapter 2 for us from verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How different is the Lord Jesus? At the center of the universe, from fake religion, from flawed promotion, from foolish quests. Surprisingly, the biggest question in life is not which Harry Potter house are you in. It's what do you make of Jesus? Will you bow before Jesus gladly in celebration or grudgingly in despair? Will you welcome the Lord Jesus now or will you be forced to accept it when it's too late? And I don't know about you, but I desperately need a Lord I desperately need a Lord to forgive my fake religion, to forgive my compromised motives, my status seeking. I desperately need a Lord to protect me from those three things that I am so capable of inflicting on others or experiencing from others. I need a Lord who will model to me a religion that's not a burden because it's about Him, not me. To model to me pursuit of greatness by him not me to model promotion of him not me i need a lord to change my heart and my life and i can't do it i can't protect myself from these dangers i need forgiveness for my failures i need his model i need his help and the lord we so desperately need is the lord we so definitely have the lord jesus Let's pray.